Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the final in the dark and misty night, as the moon shines oh so bright, comes a chilling wind that cries of a fate we can't deny. Death will come for us all when the final curtain falls. No escape from its icy grip, and it takes our souls, and we slip. Mm, uncomfortable and odd rhyming scheme there. What is that that I'm reading? That is a primordial song created by ChatGPT. Uh, my friend, taking the piss out of me, um, downloaded ChatGPT. If you don't know what that is, that is basically um, a platform that everybody's using right now, which just generates text. It generates... Well, let me tell you what exactly it says. ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence chatbot. A chatbot. Developed by OpenAI and launched in November 2022. So my friend thought it would be interesting and funny to um, start bombarding me with ChatGPT um, texts. And that one I just read to you was um, write a song about death in the style of Primordial. I have to say it um, it's not great. It was It's kind of like uh, the answers a 15 or 16 year old would give. Um, and it's a rather simplistic rhyming scheme, but nonetheless, it is a song in the style of Primordial. Um, I don't think I have anything quite to fear yet, although I do know some bands who should remain nameless and lyricists who could maybe use a little touch of the teenage chat GPT in their stylistic writings. Um, but it's getting closer and I'm pretty sure somewhere out there there is a rather advanced um, there was a rather advanced platform that could generate the uh, music to go along with that. Just put in some random 11-8 timing or 6-8 timing. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Rashers and sausages. Rashers and sausages. If that's how you want to remember 6-8. Uh, um, and then just, you know, just droning note on the bass and, you know, open chord guitar playing. Well, what am I going to talk about today? It is Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill. Uh, and this is episode 152. And... 
it feels kind of like I don't really have anything else I can possibly talk about because the truth is, this is the last week of uh, the new Primordial album, album number 10. It is a done and dusted deal. So um, I've been sort of blocking out most of everything else in order to get it finished. And so I'm going to talk about what you do in the final stages before you get round to uh, signing, sealing and deliver it and sending it off uh, to the mothership or whatever you want to say. And so I'm going to discuss a little bit about what happens in that last uh, week or so, the decision making and the things that you have to do in the process that it goes to um, the pressing plant and the, all that kind of stuff. And some other stuff. A little look at this chat GPT. Uh, the same friend thought it would be highly amusing to uh, ask it to... Um, let me just look now. I need to... Yes. Well, she entertained herself by saying, I want a humorous take on black metal music, which I might read out a bit of later on, which reads something like... Uh, I'm sure that the novelty eventually will wear off of doing this. And there are many people out there who are no doubt um, really enjoying asking chat GPT random questions and getting random answers. But it does present a very interesting you know, problem for modern society in that... Um, I'm just looking here at this article, which is, you know, write a humorous article about black metal music. But you don't necessarily have to put in the word humorous. This could be an article written by somebody from the outside looking into it. And I would fail to see how a teacher in a school or a college would be able to um, determine that this is a bot or an actual person writing this. It presents huge problems as we move further for education. Of course, I have friends who go, oh, no, they can't, won't be able to use that in school. And I go, well, how are they going to gate, gatekeep this? I mean, it's already, I'm looking at it right now. It's, um, you know, this article, this short article, I will read it out later on, is on my iPad there. And it uh, grammatically, it makes sense. OK, so the language is not that exciting. And um, it's certainly not written by an academic or somebody with a journalistic flourish for language. But it is, um, it's perfectly fine. And so what does that mean? I mean, theoretically, chat, chat GPT means that um, any one of you could decide to form a newspaper. Let's say an online newspaper, an online, you know, like I subscribe to. I just got an email from them, Unheard. Yeah, U-N-H-E-R-D. I think it's a really great YouTube page. And, you know, they have an online um, sort of you know, email kind of thing you subscribe to. And it comes into your the inbox every week. And it's about four or five articles. Now, theoretically, what this means is that um, somebody could um, make an anti-unheard and just actually only ask ChatGPT to uh, write articles to the contrary to the political angles of unheard or whatever else. Let's just say you want to form your own newsletter or your own, put your own ideas out there. You, you don't really have to write anything. Theoretically, it means that you could just... Um, head, you know, point the ship in a direction and go, okay, here are my politics, here are the people I think you should be influenced by or reading, and it will go off and come back to you with um, five or six different articles, which is kind of incredible because, you know, for as long as the printed word has existed, it's been, if you go back 100, 120, 150 years, or even, of course, to the advent of the printing press, but let's go back 100 years, I mean, even in Ireland, late 19th century, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of daily newspapers with political angles that were out there in the public sphere. And you sort of bought the one that, you know, subscribed to your politics. But they were, you know, they had a, a body politic behind them. They had a corporeal identity. Um, now, theoretically, um, you don't need any of that. ChatGPT could just write your entire newspaper for you. 
and it could continue to do so. It could just update itself every week. It could take in and the news from the sources you've given it at the beginning, and it could just write retorts. It let's say you could ask it to, as I said, Unheard magazine. Um, you know, pick pick a website that you dislike. I don't know. Pick the politics of a magazine, a paper you don't like. Maybe you don't like the Guardian. Well, you could tell ChatGPT to um, write articles. Uh, yeah, I suppose, theoretically, in contrary to the tone of The Guardian every week and just put it out there as your kind of um, political statement to your social bulwark against the, um, you know, to the sort of sometimes tireless, tiresomely um, progressive ideology of The Guardian, a paper I used to read a lot back in the day, but now I find um, editorialises a little bit too much for its own good. But, you know, it's still it's still valid enough. Yet, you could create um, something completely to the contrary if you wish to, um, and literally have no input um, into the writing thereof. Anyway, I've got a bit sidetracked by that by ChatGPT, as I think you and all of society will be over the coming six to 12 months and years as we move forward. The show is sponsored by Metal Blade. Um, you can go to uh, IndieMerch.com slash Metal Blade and you can use the promo code, code AA2023. Um, and you will get 10% off your order and they ship worldwide. All sorts of cool things there. Go and have a look. You can check the link in the description below. More sponsors to come later on. So what happens in the last, like the dying throes of an album? I suppose everybody, most musicians are at some stage in that final process. Now, I have said over the past two podcasts, and I do apologize for people who want me to talk about some other things. Um, who are going, yeah, well, you're, what about this politics that are happening or this or that? Either? When you're kind of in the bubble of making a, an album, you're you're within the bubble and it's sort of all you can really think about. You wake up in the middle of the night wondering about images for artwork and that kind of thing. So I haven't really been paying a lot of attention to everything else. So you'll have to excuse that my only distractions for this particular podcast are some chat GPT observations. But in that final the kind of final week or the final few days of recording. Right now we are in the post, um, what could you say? You you get the songs to 90% done and then you sort of add the cherries on top, so to speak. The final little flourishes. And what are those? Well, you are afflicted by somewhat of a crisis of conscience as a musician because what happens, what happens is this, is that... Um, you are very, very close to the songs. You hear them 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 or more times. Sometimes you're sat there and over and over and over again. Now, I'm not a person who has a very long attention span. Anybody who knows me well knows that that's probably <laughs> nearer to the truth. But um, sometimes you have to. There's no, there's, no, there's no problem or there's no way out of that. You just have to keep listening and listening and listening. Because especially if you're doing singing, you're waiting for some moment to hit you and go, ah, a Eureka moment, the Archimedes moment, um, where you go, this is where this should go. You're trying to feel out the mood, the tone of a song with the singing. And it can be, you know, a trial and error process, especially if you're not that well rehearsed. But what happens is you get a bit fatigued. Your ears basically become tired like any other muscle that you've overworked, I think. This is how I can kind of explain it. And you become a little bit fatigued. And what happens is that the power of suggestion becomes very strong when you're making a record. So you will sit there um, in the little control room, you know, where the main speakers are. You're hearing back everything. And, you know, of course, it sounds great. That's one thing you have to um, try and compartmentalize when you are making an album, and that is that you are um, in the kind of the most extreme environment 
the most outlying listening um, environment there, there is in that you're listening through hugely expensive speakers in a control room that has been soundproofed and designed for this very, very purpose. Yet you're making an album that will, by and large, never be listened to by anybody in, in the same environment. Okay, now I'm sitting in front of my stereo, which is a Denon. Uh, nerdy people have asked me what kind of stereo I have. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's fine. It's it's It was a sort of halfway to two-thirds um, you know, expensive stereo that I bought way, way back when I had a tiny bit of money um, before um, Spotify stole it all. <laughs> Indeed, yes. No, um, it's not a bad stereo. It's decent, but it's probably better than I would imagine most um, people are listening to things on, you know, not to be condescending, but if we take the the body of people consuming music as a whole, they're not really, you know, they're not listening to albums. So you've got your nerdy gear tech people who have good stereos. Um, who are out there, you know, buying vinyl and consuming the physical product and that kind of thing. But your average casual listener, um, and that I think is most people will be listening on computer speakers or listening on uh, iPod headphones or um, iPod. Yeah, no, not exactly iPod, but you know what I mean. Some measure of wireless headphones, whatever it, whatever it is. So you have to kind of mix your album to be sounding, uh, to sound well on anything. Um, on uh, you know the speakers in a car, some people really like to listen to to test their uh, mix on you know almost the worst speakers in the house. If it sounds good, then you're probably doing a good job. How will it sound in the speakers in your car? How will it sound through the wireless speakers when you've downloaded and compressed the file onto your phone? There are all these different test measures because when you are actually mixing that record, um, no one will ever listen to your record as it is in that moment, which sounds really strange when you think about it. It's, it's almost counterproductive um, because you're mixing it in this um, very, very, you're almost mixing it in a vacuum. So what happens is the power of suggestion becomes very, very strong. Me, you know, you've been there for 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 hours, I don't know, mixing your record. Um, you've been completely consumed by the sound of this one or two songs for that whole day. And I look at Paul, our bass player in Primordial, and he just looks at me and he goes, is the bass loud enough? Then we're both listening to the bass. Now I'm a bass player as well, of a fashion, a butcher I would more describe myself as. But then I listen to it and I go, oh, I'd put more, I'd put more Lemmy in the mix. And he goes, hmm. And then we're all listening to it. And then you just poke it up the tiniest bit. You just change the dynamic range of it and it sticks out. And then Kieran, guitar player, comes in and he goes, hey, the bass is too loud. And we go, oh. And it's this, um, you know, tiny measuring game between all of the instruments. Because, as I said before, the dynamic range, and it's one of the most problematic issues that most modern heavy metal is that, um, in my opinion, the, the dynamic range is pushed far too much as regards the guitars. Layers and layers and layers of guitars. Um, you don't have this in the 70s and the 80s. Um, in fact, if you listen to a 70s heavy metal record, you will find the guitar tones are quite small. That's why John Bonham has partly a huge and amazing drum sound. I mean, he, he would anyway, but um, listen to the guitar sound and the, the, the tone of the instruments he's fighting against, because they are fighting for space. And they're not very big. And now, of course, when you turn Led Zeppelin up loud, turn up communication breakdown, it sounds amazing. But when you compare it to a modern heavy metal record, you will find it's very big drums, very big vocals, and the guitar and bass are pushed very wide. That's personally how I like to hear most music. And I think that when you turn it up loud, it keeps its clarity because it keeps the space between the instruments as they're moved up. But an awful lot of modern metal, the dynamic range is completely maxed out. 
And so what happens then is that this dynamic range of this wall of guitar, it takes up the frequency range of cymbals, of vocals. So what happens then is that in my, you know, as a singer, I hear, oh, the vocal, I don't like the way black metal records from 19 to mid-90s are mixed or late 90s. The vocals sit back as if they're like a small point in a howling gale, a wall of guitars. And this is very much the fashion of the time. But I don't like that. I'd rather vocals sit out on top, like Master Puppets or whatever else you want. 86, not 96, is my is how I prefer the singing. The singing should have presence. It should have body. It should be, um, you know, not sitting on top of the music, but it should be occupying a space in the middle of the music. And I think that when you have made an album, if you play it, if you it, let's say you were to hire a, a club or you go to a nightclub or something and you go, fucking blare this for me. I want to hear it. You should be able to hear the chorus clearly. You should be able to hear the words clearly. You should be able to hear the diction, darling. You should be able to hear um, the words very precisely. And this has always been very important to me. It's one of the reasons why David Vincent is probably the greatest death metal vocalist of all time. It's because every fucking word is, you don't need a lyric sheet. You know exactly what he's saying. And that's really important for me. Now, of course, maybe for people who don't speak English as the first language, I could understand how that's less important because it's a noise. I remember my good friend Anton from um, Criminal said that to me. Um, he was playing Pentagram back in the 80s. He said, dude, you know, you're in South America and stuff. And he spoke English. He had um, German heritage. But he was just like, most people have no clue what the bands were singing about. It's it's the noise. So they weren't connecting to what you connected to, which was lyrics and um, the words and all that kind of thing. Crush the holy priest, turn the cross towards hell, etc. Whatever. Perfect diction by Mr. Vincent. And um, that's important for me. But obviously, it's a very important balance in that if you just bring, say, the leads or the guitars down a tiny bit, like the smallest little element, um, this will immediately push forward the cymbals, uh, the vocals, and a, and a sort of high mid range of the bass. And all of a sudden, just a tiny, tiny movement will space out the instruments. And so an awful lot of the last week is spent arguing or um, debating about small little moments in each song. Now, of course, if you have, um, uh, there's some very slow songs in the new primordial, doomy ones, where uh, the singing is much more clean. And those ones, I think, require the singing to be a bit more upfront, have a bit more body, a bit less maybe of the distorted guitar with the bass driving a bit more. And it will affect the snare sound then because it's slower. And seeing as we don't um, replace snare hits, we don't replace hits on the drums. By that, I mean um, a lot of bands have the same snare hit for every um, for every hit of the drum. As in, um, you know, the drummer plays and then you take every bass drum, every snare, you more or less trigger it so that you just have the same duck, 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 duck. You replace every hit. It's a laborious process. At least it was. I presume there's some um, some body of a chat GPT um, drone um, who can do these things now. But that was used to be a very laborious process. But so what you're trying to do is um, have natural drum hits. But of course, if you're playing slower and hitting harder, um, you you know you're naturally going to hit a bit harder than if you're going if you play if you're playing a blast beat unless you're the drummer of Crisian or something who just seems to hammer absolutely everything, but that's kind of um, these small little alterations can make huge changes in the sound. So that's what you're debating as a band. You're going back and forward, going, hey, um, what do you think about removing you know or, or like altering the way the lead comes up and that kind of thing and of course every particular person it's just natural i suppose it's a, it's a form of sort of tribalism i guess but you are listening also for your own instrument 
um, and you want clarity in terms of that. I mean, I like the James Hetfield kind of vocal production, this Garage Days uh, sort of very, very close vocal. If you take Turn the Page or something, um, this is I love this is an amazing sound but then this is metallic and they probably spent a quarter of a million dollars making the record you're spending um, a, a minute fraction of that so you know and you also play differently many people say to me oh how come we don't have the guitar sound of this or how can I get the drum sound of that and I go well one of the reasons you can't have the drum sound of Mental Funeral is that you aren't Chris Reifert I mean you can try but um, one of the reasons oh I want the drum sound of Dave Lombardo well you know, probably Dave Lombardo sounds like Dave Lombardo. I mean, even if you started a band with Gene Hoagland, he's still going to sound like Gene Hoagland and not Dave Lombardo. Everything is in the way you play. Like there's a song on the new Primordial album, which is basically um, on guitar, how you would approach acoustic guitar playing in Irish traditional music, which is very rhythmic. It's not a lead instrument. It's a ring. And it um, is very much. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Such an open chord kind of thing. Now, that's a very unusual way to play heavy metal guitar. So when you approach mixing that, you kind of want to have a bit less gain, a little bit less distortion because you want to bring out the notes. But then where does the heaviness come from? Well, then you push the bass. So you push the distortion a little bit more in the bass going, ah. Oh. Or what you do is you record root notes with the guitar. Now, we try not to have too many layers of guitar. As I said, it blocks up the frequency range. So you have a ding da 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 ding da 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 ding which, you know, like a, just a root, uh, the few two or three or four root notes. And then you just mix them in. 
um, to the you know the overall strumming tone of the guitar. But you might want to bring the distortion a bit back on the main strum, so to say, um, and put it on laid on a little bit thicker for the little underlying notes. So once you have settled on your final mix, um, then you need to send it off to be mastered. Um, now, mastering is a kind of interesting thing because you've probably heard of all the mastering wars that were happening about 10, 15, 20 years ago. That um, metallic album with the grave on the front, whatever it's called. You know the one I mean, the white one with the sort of grave. Can't remember it off the top of my head. Probably should have looked that up before starting to talk about it. But it's terribly mastered. It's peaking and distorted. And there's a version of it that's on, a version of one of the songs that's on Guitar Hero that's just the stems, which sounds so much better. Um that isn't mastered to the like to the so peaky and so distorting and this is what was happening unusually enough it was spotify with its internal compressor which began to regulate the sound wars and um, you didn't need to have these mastering wars um, of all the poor things i think spotify has done for music this is one thing that it's sort of regulated and that and it ended the mastering war so what can mastering do mastering generally goes for overall sounds or frequencies it's you don't have you, a mastering engineer can't or shouldn't be going into the um the the singular tracks like he's not affecting or she is not affecting the uh, bass drum for example but the frequency that the bass drum inhabits yes you can put more bottom end you can put more you know 200 hertz or 400 kilohertz or whatever whatever it is i'm sort of spoofing there i don't know exactly but you know what i mean you can change the frequency range you can add a bit of middle to the overall tone which might bring out the high end of the guitars um you can make it brighter you can make it duller you can make it more bassy um a good mastering engineer is really worth um you know their weight in gold because it can salvage a poor mix as in it can you know if you have a dull mix let's say the as we go back to where we were talking about 20 minutes ago let's say you have a dull room and you sometimes you can have a dead room which has no um reflections has no you know um and you're mixing in this room and you don't know exactly you haven't mixed anything else for comparison so that's why often engineers like to mix sometimes in their own studio in their own home patch because they know the room like if you have a very dead room, uh, then this can affect the, the the mix that you're doing if you're if you're in this room and you've never mixed there before. So you send the record off for mastering, and the mastering engineer comes back and says, "Oh, this is pretty dull. Do you want me to put in some mid and high mid?" And you know we all go, "Huh? What? Huh?" But we've also been victims to the power of suggestion as well. So um, you it again, you kind of at some stage, and this is something people are very bad at doing, is sometimes you just have to release an album with its flaws. I mean, I never anticipated ever making a perfect heavy metal album. I don't think there really is one of their albums I view that are very close to it. But at the same time, they have to have some flaws to errors to be human. But they have to have some flaws and you won't fix them completely. So you just have to take them for what they are sometimes, a snapshot in time. But a, but a really good master can be really important. Um, before you do that, you need your IRSC code. Now, what the hell is an IRSC code? I'll tell you what an IRSC code is. Um, an IRSC code is like an individual digital code that you ascribe to every song. Um, a unique identification system for sound recordings and music video recordings. Each IRSC code identifies a specific, unique recording and can be permanently encoded into a product as a kind of digital fingerprint. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good explanation. Um, so basically, this was designed, I suppose, every single song 
there is should have an individual IRSC code. Now, way back in the day, let's say 15, 20 odd years ago, um, we used to get printed off um, from our labels. We used to get printed sheets which uh, laid out all the radio play we had all across the world. And your IRSC code was related to that radio play. You had college radio in the USA. You had a radio here and there who were playing primordial songs. And you would be, uh, you would get a tiny, tiny percentage. Maybe it was, you know, two cents or four cents or something like this. Um, a far bigger uh, monetary number than a stream for Spotify, for example. Like if you were played um, an Irish radio, Irish radio RTE, Radio Telefisher, and played a small section of a song um, in some uh, afternoon program. I don't really know why or what the reason were, but we all got like a couple of euro for that play. So imagine how this, you know, enables pop music and that kind of thing. Anyway, as the radio stations kind of disappeared and stopped playing heavy metal, the IRSC codes and the lists of radios playing changed. And just as a kind of aside, I remember also back in the Gathering Wilderness time, we would get lists and lists and lists of um, the label used to employ a couple of people and all their job was to kill feeds. Um, uh, because you, the digital promo would go out, like there'd be promo CDs would go out of an album um, two to three months before because you had to give them to the journalists. And invariably, if they pressed, I don't know, a thousand promo CDs or 500, one journalist would give it to a friend, trade the files, and before you knew it, the album, several months before and was up online. And this was a disaster because it could affect your sales by thousands and thousands. So there were two... Um, guys whose sole job was just to scour the internet looking for um, links for albums and just killing them, just sending messages, just killing these messages to whatever platform it was and just chasing everything around to stop um, an album coming out before. And now, for those of you who support kind of open share or whatever, um, you know, you should really consider the implications of this because you've got a label paying money for an album um, which is essentially a bank loan of sorts to the musician. And if your album got leaked two months beforehand, um, this could like hugely affect the impact of the album and the hugely affect the impact of the daily sales um, on that first week um, and create a huge, huge problem between the label and um, the musician because, you know, obviously your sales were how you repaid that loan. And if you've missed could be you could miss 5,000 sales because that or 10,000 sales or more I suppose for a bigger band if your album was leaked two months beforehand then they began to give them digital watermarks and I know a couple of instances of labels suing of journalists for leaking albums because each promo had a digital watermark that was linked to that specific person um, and I remember specifically something about some new immortal album somebody got in a lot of trouble for leaking a promo so then what happens is that you send your album off to the label. Um, now, this can sometimes cause arguments. Personally, I think bands should trust labels. Um, but, of course, sometimes there's been plenty of cases of bands um, having completely lost the plot or lost the run of things or uh, just fucked up in the studio or, you know, spent all their money on something else. Or it's just been a disaster. Some bands just have really, really bad luck. The studio doesn't work, all this kind of stuff. And they send away the album to the label and they'll go, that's oh, not great, etc. This can be a whole other set of problems. Is it worth remixing? What happens then? Do you get a standoff between the label? Because sometimes bands get stuck. They used to get stuck in the 80s. They would send labels an album. Um, Sleep, I think, had this 
problem. And that's why they made that album with the one riff, I think, to get out of their contract. Sure as hell, Deicide threw a few albums um, under the bus in Torment in Hell and all this kind of other rubbish just to get out of contracts. But it's pretty rare and it's never happened to me. But then what happens is that the album gets sent to the pressing plant and so you're in the queue for the vinyl. And that's the big thing right now. Um, and it is true that, um, you know, major labels are kind of clogging up the uh, release schedule for everything. They just book tons and tons and tons of spaces and then they just put their releases in. Originally, you know, record release day was supposed to be about independent artists and independent um, vinyl stores, but very quickly it just got um, consumed by the mainstream and became more about the mainstream major labels and their alternate issues and all that kind of stuff. Same thing that happens to everything, really. But you're in a you're in a queue for the vinyl now. Um, at least uh, a year or two ago, the queue for vinyl was up to I think between seven, eight, or nine months. Um, didn't happen with the Verminous Serpent. That managed to be five or six months. So maybe there's more plants there now. I would I would imagine that with the current energy crisis, the pressing of vinyl is even more expensive and more uh, complicated than it used to be. But I haven't really checked into it yet. But however, our master um, to come out at the end of September has to be delivered almost five to six months in advance. So you've got to then um, obviously figure out the running order. This is a really, uh, really complicated thing. I remember reading an interview with Lars Ulrich before. And um, if I'm not mistaken, he had on the on his bit of paper in the interview, the running order of Injustice for All done like 20 different times, like, you know, opening with uh, all different songs and all that kind of stuff. And it really is important because... Um, especially now in an age now, many people just go, oh, fuck it, just do what you want. You know, if people want to listen to it, want to listen to it, don't, don't. But sometimes really great songs can be buried in the back end of albums because people sadly never get to the end of the album, a lot of people. So do you front load your album with the hardest hitter, the biggest punch and thing? Do you put your Empire Falls first, which we've been accused of people who on some level don't like those kind of like big, you know, huge heavy metal songs with the big chorus. And like, oh, why don't you start with, you know, a kind of a darker song? And you think, well, A, it's not your business what we do. But also, um, sometimes you have to punch, you know, have to throw your biggest punch first. Um, I suppose I think about those things a little bit more than maybe some, some of the others uh, who are less concerned about that kind of thing. And maybe I shouldn't be concerned about them. But you do think, you do stress out about the running order. How does it fit the most? You need peaks and hollows and dynamics and ups and downs. Start on the front foot, you know, take your foot off the gas in the middle, put the the longer complicated songs in the middle, end on a high note or what do you do? So there's an awful lot of discussion with the running order. That can keep you awake. But you really need to be on top of the artwork then as well. So normally with Primordial, I would have about half a dozen. As I said before, I'm, I know I'm repeating myself. Don't worry, next week I'll discuss some geopolitics or whatever else. But you are trying to be on top of um, a couple of different covers because you anticipate that people won't like them. Um, if you if your band is a democracy, well, then you can be outvoted on a cover um, or somebody goes, you know, one person loves something, three people don't like it and vice versa. And one everyone has veto power trying to get everybody to agree on the aesthetic is pretty difficult, um, which can also mean things get compromised and ultimately aren't as you know, they aren't as good or they aren't as strong because that's what happens. However, um, 
you need to be on top of the aesthetic, on top of the artwork, then think, oh, damn it, we have to take band pictures. And Primordial has been in that situation before where we haven't had the band pictures ready for the album. That's why sometimes there's live pictures. Now I kind of like the individual live pictures rather than having some, you know, band picture on the back. That's not really an aesthetic I'm that into. But um, you do need to take band pics and you do need band and new band pics. And they do make a very, very big impact, very big dramatic impact. Um, and this is how things are. If you if you have really, um, I remember for Redemption at the Puritan's Hand, um, we got access to, in Dublin, there's very famous old, um, I guess it's an old electricity building with two huge, big um, pylons, burners, you know, um, and but the whole factory is just completely in ruin. Um, I, as a Dubliner, I shouldn't remember the name of it, but uh, I've forgotten. Anyway, me... And my cousin, um, who was taking the photos, got into the uh, huge, ruined, like, um, factory. And we we're doing fire breathing. And we, we took some amazing pictures in there. It was It's one of the ones where, you know, I've sort of, like, got stigmata stuff happening. And they, they were just great, great photos. And um, for that particular album, we made more uh, covers of magazines than ever before. Because people wanted, oh, look at this dramatic picture. Now, do, we, do you pick that or do you pick just, you know, um, you know, Godfrey Bodkin just standing um, with his arms in his hoodie pocket, even if they might be from a bigger band, um, you know, Godfrey Bodkin from, um, I don't know, 10cc or Foreigner, <laughs> um, a much bigger band, of course, but it's not a dynamic picture and people on the shelves, people look at it on the shelves, you know, why did, why does Gal make so many um, magazine covers? Because he's an iconic sort of looking dude, you know. So you've got to put some thought into those kind of things, even if it sounds like very, it's a very un-Irish thing to put, I think, thought into the aesthetic. Um, that Maybe that's a discussion for another podcast, but you kind of have to put some thought into that as well. So you need to be sort of thinking about about 15, 20 different things all at the end. And then there's just the wait. You have to sit on the record for four, five, six months and you can't just fire out um, mp3s or fire out um, you know tracks to people because easily a track can get leaked and you have to sort of think about the videos then because what happens is in the lead up to the album you have um, you should in theory have a new song every three to four weeks that's got to spikes the Spotify numbers and the singles and the label calls it the digital single and each of those should in theory have or at least they did for the last one album a video to go with them now some of them are just visualizers they call them you know sort of lyrical videos um they're sort of like cheaper videos um like my good friend Killian did for the last Dread Sovereign album you're working with what you got to kind of put together some something visual to engage people with um, obviously a proper video is supposed to have the members of the band or a storyline or something filmed specifically for that video now that's a bit more complicated but um, so you have a lot to think about and you also have to kind of sit on the album and wait for it to come out uh, and that can be really difficult because you can either want to your people to hear it and but you're also excited about something and then you have to kind of oh okay now we just sit around um, and have to wait for it and then you you know like Promodio will be playing some gigs in the summer and people go oh, why don't you play a new song well you can't because contractually there's problems then if the song ends up online um, that kind of thing and 
is that what you know would that will put you in some sort of conflict with your label should you be taking eight minutes out of a 45 minute set to play a song that nobody's heard yet ah, it's complicated it's complicated there's no doubt about it um, which songs are going to become the songs that you play live which aren't for men like us who have 10 albums and every song is six to nine minutes long um you you can't just play a club show then after you know um three or four five six months after the album because i and only played the new album it's complicated and then you have to worry about how is it going to be received is it are people going to like it it's very possible that you put all of this energy time and effort and you you're close to the record and you think it sounds great and it feels really good and it comes out and people go nah, no nah, don't really like that and you you know it's it's kind of um it's what's well, not crushing because i have to be honest i don't pay that much attention to criticism that much anymore but it does um, you know it, do, it can get to you because you've put so much time into it and you've put so much effort and you've put so much of your life into it and then you're obviously sometimes you know somebody shows you a review or a comment and you go this person never even listened to it and maybe they just listened to my podcast and made up a decision about it who knows ah well that's the stress that's involved in the last week of um, or the last few weeks of making a record um, so let me read you the article um, uh, this is ChatGPT. This is a uh, an open source AI chatbot, not uh, not an article written by a human, but an article written by a machine. Uh, and my friend, taking the piss out of me, says to ChatGPT, "I want a humorous take on black metal music." So bear in mind, this is not this. <laughs> what I'm about to read is a machine saying this. Hey, how about that black metal music, huh? It's like someone took a bunch of angry kittens and put them in a blender with a chainsaw. I mean, I guess it's not for everyone, but if you're looking for a soundtrack to summon demons to, it's definitely the way to go. No, I've never been much of a fan of black metal myself, but I did have a friend who was really into it. He loved the whole aesthetic. The corpse paint, the spikes, spikes, the goat's blood, you know, the usual stuff. But the thing is, he was also the kind of guy who would help old ladies across the street and donate to charity. So it was always this weird juxtaposition of extreme brutality and extreme kindness. It's like those two worlds never really collided. I can just imagine him at a black metal show, headbanging with a bunch of other death-obsessed weirdos, and the next day he's volunteering in a soup kitchen or something. It's like he did this dual personality or something. But you know what they say? Opposites attract. Maybe that's why black metal continues to be so popular. It's a way for people to tap into their inner darkness and let out their primal emotions. Plus, it's always nice to have some angry music to listen to when you're stuck in traffic or dealing with a particularly annoying co-worker. So hey, if you're a black metal fan, keep on rocking. And if you're not, well, there's always polka. There you go, my friends. Chat GPT rules the roost. I want a humorous take on black metal music. What I just read to you was written by a machine. The end of the world is nigh. My friends, I'm Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous, episode 152. I promise it's going to get political next week. Um, let's just wait and see what happens. Over and out. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.